Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's views from the 573 Podcast. Hope you all are doing well on this Wednesday as we're midway through another week. And starting this week, it's football time, everybody. We made it. We're finally here. We got high school football going on. College football week zero, if you want to call that, takes place this week. And NFL preseason is wrapping up, inching us very so close to the start of the regular season coming up here pretty soon. It's that time of year, everybody. Football is back in the air, and it's a a good time. And that's going to be pretty much our show today. We're going to be spending a lot of time with football. We're wrapping up the NFL previews this week. We are finishing up with the NFC South. Talking about the division that includes the defending NFL champions in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Some intriguing teams about what they might do this upcoming season. You got the New Orleans Saints, their QB situation. Where where are they going to go there? Carolina, Atlanta, we're going to talk about them. And then we're going to start college football previews. Of course, this year is going to be a little bit different. One thing we're going to talk about is, in conjunction with college football, is the news of an alliance with the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 being announced officially yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit about that, and we're going to talk about those conferences. I had a different plan for how I wanted to go about this, and you say, you know what, that works out well enough, so we'll just talk about those three this week. And then next week, we'll dive into the two conferences that are on pretty good terms, wouldn't you say? And uh, the Big 12, the SEC, General 5, and all that good stuff with the college football. So that's going to be the plan for next week, uh, including next week. We're going to be officially wrapping up the NFL previews. We're going to go full-on predictions and talking about Who's going to win each division? Who's going to come out and make the playoffs, get the wild card spots, and who's going to win Super Bowl, MVP, Rookie of the Years, all that stuff. That's going to be next week's show. So that'll be that. And uh, let's get started with this one. But first, I guess there's some, some house cleaning, so to speak. Entertainment, be sure to go check out Entertainment. We've done a lot of pods on Entertainment here recently. Been a little bit of a run here. There might be another one coming out here in the next couple days talking about everything that's happened at CinemaCon. Of course, we're probably not going to get to see everything that's happened or and all that stuff, but at least we can do is talk about it and what it might mean uh, with some of the trailers, some of the news that's been coming out. Uh, I think with CinemaCon, one thing that's... Uh, for certain, we're not going to hear a whole lot on any new stuff that hasn't been done filming yet, since this is for theater owners strictly. So we're probably not going to hear anything on stuff that's filming or just finished up filming that's not completely done. That's not going to be in theaters for the next several months. So that's it. So that's going to be the case. Uh, but entertainment, we've got we've done three pods here within the last week and a half. Suicide Squad. Spoiler discussion. Go check that out. Also, go check out our our discussion on the first reactions of Shang-Chi. They've been really good. I'm hyped about the official Ron Tomeo score that's come out. It's hovering around 92, 93, and all that good stuff. 
So excited for that. Eternals trailer, Captain America 4 news, all that stuff. That was last Thursday, last Friday. That was that pod that we did. And then on uh, Monday, on Tuesday rather, we had to talk about the No Way Home trailer officially being released after a leak happening on uh, on Sunday and them leading to releasing the trailer on Monday. So we talked about that on the most recent entertainment pod and talked about that and some of Sony's panel and what they said in uh, their presentation at CinemaCon. So that's the entertainment section. Be sure to go check that, that channel out where you guys get your podcasts. Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and be sure to go check those pods out when you can. So, with that being said, let's get right on to this week's pod. And let's start off with the NFL. Let's start off with the big boys. And let's wrap the NFL previews up with the NFC South. So, what to make of the NFC South? So, Again, this division has our defending Super Bowl champion, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They pretty much stood pat this offseason, adding a couple key pieces through a draft of free agency. But they pretty much have brought everyone back from their team last year in their title defense for this upcoming season. Of course, you also have the Saints. They're going through a a little bit of a different time here as there's no more Drew Brees. That era is done. Who's going to be the QB taking snaps in Sean Payne's offense? Is it going to be Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill? Could Ian Book rise up and make a surprise? That's a question that's yet to be determined. The Atlanta Falcons, they've moved off the Julio Jones era. They got a new coach in Arthur Smith. They haven't been the same since their Super Bowl appearance. Can they get back to some sort of consistency where they where they can be consistent, be good, compete, and compete in this division? And then you have the Carolina Panthers, who are under second-year coach Matt Rule. They got some promising pieces on defense. They acquired Sam Darnold in the offseason. Is that stuff going to get figured out? Will Sam Darnold be the QB of the future for Carolina? We'll talk about that with this preview. So, to begin our preview, let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. And the first question you got to ask is, what is new head coach Arthur Smith going to bring to the team? Now, of course, Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator the last couple seasons at Tennessee. That offense last year especially took off putting up so many points. He had a 2,000-yard rusher in Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis. A.J. was a 1,000-yard receiver last year. Corey Davis was so close. John Smith got a lot of weapons on that offense. And likewise, it looks like he's got some weapons here on this offense to work with. Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, Hayden Hurst. He's got some pieces to work with. So, what will you see out of Arthur Smith? Will he bring some of the same stuff from Tennessee over to this offense? They signed Mike Davis in the offseason to kind of help out. Will they be more of a running team? Will Matt Ryan be slinging out more even though there's no Julio? 
who's going to be that second wide receiver in Arthur Smith's offense? Will it be somebody like Russell Gage stepping up? So Arthur Smith, he's he, he, it's going to be interesting to see what he brings over from the Titans offense last year. He's got a guy that might be a generational talent and tight tight end and Kyle Pitts where he can place him anywhere on the field. Calvin Ridley is ready to take that number one wide receiver role, it looks like. So what will he bring to this offense? Will you see Calvin Ridley or Kyle Pitts be able to put up insane numbers like you saw Corey Davis and A.J. Brown did last year? What about Hayden Hurst? Is he going to make an impact? Are they going to be playing a lot more two tight end sets with those two? Or are you going to have Hurst at tight end? Or are you going to flex Kyle Pitts out wide? A lot of options Arthur Smith can go to. And with how you saw him operate the offense the last couple years at Tennessee, he's going to try to make the most of this offense and what pieces they have there. So that's question number one. Question number two of course, is how you are you going to move on from the Julio Jones era? How are you going to transition from that? Well, drafting Kyle Pitts definitely helps with that. A guy who is, again, potentially a generational talent, tied in, can flex him out wide and be a wide receiver. So you trade one athletic freak and you gain another, but nothing can replace what Julio Jones brings to the table for that organization, for what he did for them for so long. It's going to be a different time not seeing number 11 out there playing for the Falcons. So, a different time for sure, but you got Kyle Pitts. You got a guy that can be really, really good. And Arthur Smith, again, I think will know how to use him. And you got Calvin Ridley there who is ready to take on that top role in the wide receiver room. And the last question about Atlanta is concerning their defense. Their secondary has been through some rough patches. They've had to draft a lot of young guys the last couple years. A.J. Terrell comes to mind, who was their first-round pick uh, a year ago. You also have Isaiah Oliver, Kendall Sheffield. You drafted rookie Darren Hall this year. Who's going to be able to help step up and contribute to the to that DB room back there? Safeties. You, got, you had to draw on Harmon and Eric Harris. You drafted Rich, Richie Grant. You got a lot of young pieces in the secondary, and they're going to be going through some more growing pains, I think. But if they can go through those growing pains together and at least build up a rapport with each other in that backfield, then who knows, maybe you'll start to see some of these young guys come along and be really good cornerstones for the Falcons back in the defense for years to come. But one good thing about it is you got Dean Pease coming over to help out with the defense. So that's a good sign for the defense as a whole and for the secondary where maybe he can help out a little bit with the young pieces I got on the back end because Again, they got a lot of young players. Got second-year players, rookies back there that are looking to make potentially big contributions and get a lot of playing time. So, that's the Atlanta Falcons. Let's move on 
to Carolina and talk about Carolina for a second. The big question for Carolina, the big three, and the first one is Sam Darnold. We touched on this at the open. Sam Darnold, Carolina acquired him in the offseason. Of course, New York goes and drafts Zach Wilson number two. Sam Darnold's in a new system. Joe Brady's offense. If you've kept up with Joe Brady's offense in the last couple of years, you know how his offense has worked. He's been able to transform Joe Burrow into a guy where he can be a number one overall pick. He's, he came over last year, Teddy Bridgewater. And, you know, the offense was fine, but losing Christian McCaffrey for a lot of the season does not help you in any case with how impactful he is on the ground as well as in the passing game. So not having him definitely hurts. But fortunately, it looks like McCaffrey is going to be back this year, healthy and good to go. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Sam Darnold is going to be the key factor for this Carolina football team. You drafted him, you traded for him, he's in a new system. Joe Brady has an explosive offense that's been known. You had DJ Moore, Rodney, and Robbie Anderson. You signed him to an extension. You got McCaffrey back. You did lose Curtis Samuel in the offseason. But I still think if you're Carolina, you feel really strong about where your offense is headed. And Sam Darnold, listen, hes I think he's in a better situation. Anytime you have a guy like McCaffrey back there in the backfield, it really helps. You have decent wide receivers, which is better than what the Jets have had recently. You got some solid pieces on that defense. And you got a guy that really cares about that defense, too, and Matt Rule. So, it's a better situation I think Sam Darnold has found himself in in Carolina than he probably ever found himself in in New York. And so now, he's a QB of this team. They are going through some offensive line stuff. You want to see who's going to win that left tackle spot. Is it going to be Cameron Irving? They did trade one, uh, one of their tackles, Greg Little. So it might seem like Cameron Irving is going to have the inside track for that left tackle job. But you want to see if maybe somebody like Brady Christensen, their third-round pick, can come in and potentially be a guy left tackle, or if they're going to wait and see on that. But right now, you got to figure out that offensive line. That's one of the key reasons why Darnold wasn't successful. Among other things, there's plenty of other reasons why he wasn't successful, but the offensive line was one of them. And so, if you're Sam Darnold, you got some weapons now. You got an awesome weapon in the backfield in McCaffrey. You got really good wide receivers in Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. The offensive line is the only question. And... It'll be interesting to watch this year, I think, for everybody to see what Joe Brady does with Sam Darnold and see if there's still a lot of talent that Sam Darnold has to work with to be a starting NFL quarterback. And, again, Joe Brady's offense has been known to be pretty explosive. Maybe not at the NFL level quite yet, but if he's able to figure out something this year, he might be a guy that could be talked about as a head coach next year or in a couple years at least. So that's question number one for Carolina. Question number two, Christian McCaffrey. 
missed 13 games last year after ankle injuries, shoulder injuries. He's coming back this year. And, of course, adding him back to the sophomore brings an added dimension. And Joe Brady loves would love this guy to be able to stay healthy for the rest of the year. If he's able to play, I don't know if he's going to be able to play 17 games because it might be asking too much. But if he's going to be playing a majority of the games, then Carolina is going to be in a really good position because McCaffrey brings a lot to the offense. Pass catching wise, running wise, having him healthy makes Carolina better. The question is, who's going to be his backup? You do lose Mike Davis to in Division Atlanta. Is it going to be somebody like rookie Chuba Hubbard? That's going to be that guy that's taking on RB two duties. Maybe. And he might, if McCaffrey gets hurt again, he might be a guy that's thrust into the starting role there. So, I think for Carolina, you hope for the best hope McCaffrey is healthy and that he's going to be good to go for the rest of the year and that he's going to have a bounce back season this year. And then the final question for Carolina is they have a lot of young pieces on defense. They drafted strictly defense last year in their draft. They went defense earlier in the draft. They went defense early in the draft this year with J.C. Horn in the first round and added a piece to that defense in the cornerback room. So, with all these young pieces that you have, with guys like Brian Burns, Yatir Gross Mateos, Derek Brown, you have young corners with Dante Jackson, you add J.C. Horn to that room. Will the young stars on defense, are they going to uh, grow up real quick? Because they did really well uh, at times last year. And Jeremy Chin is a OVC guy right here, uh, representing the OVC. He, he played pretty well last year at times. Could he be a guy that takes a, another step this year in a second season? Can Derek Brown do that as well? Brian Burns. Can he establishes himself as one of the best pass rushers in the league? J.C. Horn, being a young cornerback in the league is, is going to be tough. Can he get adjusted pretty well? It's just going to all depend on that defense if they can grow up fast or will there be growing pains. I expect there will, but how many growing pains will there be? Because if there are a lot, then it's going to be a struggle. But if there's not a whole lot of growing pains that these guys are going through, there will be some struggles at times, but they'll be learning to play together on that defense and communicating with each other and maybe potentially vaulting themselves into next year, into potentially being a defense to watch out for in this league, where you got guys on the front line with Brown, Gross Mateos, Brian Burns, and then you have a guy like Jeremy Chin who can you can just place all over the field. And then you have J.C. Horn who Carolina Holmes can shut down one half of the field. So they got a lot of nice young stars on that defense. It just depends on how fast are they going to be able to grow up in this league and 
how many growing pains are they going to go through? Because if it's less, then I think watch out for this Carolina defense. So there are the Carolina Panthers. Now let's move on to maybe the most interesting team as far as what might happen at the QB spot in this division in the New Orleans Saints. Again, you're leaving the Drew Brees era. And question number one has to be, who is going to take the reins on that QB spot? We've seen Jameis Winston had a you know, had a good showing in his most recent preseason game. Could it be him? Could it be Taysom Hill? I mentioned Ian Book. It's probably not going to be him. But, I mean, you never know with Sean Payton and how he runs the system. But Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, listen, Taysom Hill is fun. He's awesome. I would honestly go with Jameis here. That's that's my own personal opinion. I would go with Jameis here. I, he's still young, former number one overall pick. He's in Sean Payton's system. And I think with what's going to hurt any one of these QBs, but maybe not so much Jameis maybe, is that who outside of Michael Thomas is going to help contribute? Because Michael Thomas had a really, not a really good campaign last year. And it's not a good thing that he's sidelined to start the season this year after undergoing ankle surgery in June. I know there's been a lot made about why he had the ankle surgery so late. And there's some durability concerns now with uh, with him. With him missing a whole lot of time last year. Missing nine games last year. And he's going to miss a few games to start the year this year. Where are they going to find some help in that wide receiver room? So, Jameis, I think, is going to be the guy that they should probably go to. But we'll see. Sean Payne will... Uh, We'll have to make a decision here pretty soon with the season starting, whether it's going to be Jameis or Taysom Hill. If it's Taysom Hill, we'll have to see where this where the season goes for the Saints. I do think Jameis is going to get a serious look at QB1. And, I mean, I think that's who they should look to to be QB1. You know, no, nothing against Taysom Hill. It's just that Jameis offers, I think, a lot more at the QB position than Taysom Hill does. So, speaking of the Saints wide receiver group, let's talk about it. Again, no one outside of Michael Thomas. Who's going to help step up in that wide receiver room? Traquan Smith. Are you going to help hope for something for him in his fourth year? Marquez Callaway, former Tennessee kid. I'm really excited to see him kind of getting some time here with the Saints. Is he going to be a guy that can come in and step up and be a a guy that can bring a lot to that wide receiver group. It's going to be a lot of interesting stuff to see where the Saints are going to go here. Because Michael Thomas, last couple years, hasn't been able to stay on the field. He's not going to be on the field to start the year. So, this Saints offense is going to be in a really interesting place. And I think that's the last question... I want to kind of lean into and talking about their offense. Is this going to be a team that runs a little bit more and maybe rely on the defense to really 
get them wins here with with this team. Of course, anytime you have an Alvin Kamara in the backfield, uh, it's going to really help your chances. As a guy that can run, catch, do everything, do everything back. So that part of it helps. Do you rely on him? And that might be a thing that they do. The Saints offensive line is really, really good. They they drafted a whole lot where maybe there's a couple spots where like, yeah, maybe they, they shouldn't have drafted an offensive line. They should have gone somewhere else, but it's actually really helped them. They got a really good offensive line to to work with. And so maybe that could be uh, a little bit of a change of pace from what we've seen in the Sean Payton era with Drew Brees. The defense, maybe you rely on the defense. The defense has taken a lot of steps up from uh, a few years ago, adding a lot of pieces. You got a lot of guys on that defensive line that are really good. Cam Jordan, you hope Marcus Davenport kind of puts it all together. You draft a Payne Turner in the first round. Could guys like Shai Tuttle, Malcolm Roach, Noah Spence, could some of those guys step up? Cornerback, you got Marshawn Lattimore. Who's going to line up on opposite side of him? Is it going to be C.J. Garner-Johnson, or is he going to be in the slot? Could it be someone like Paulson Adebo, who they drafted, who they're very high on, who was a pretty good corner at Sanford? Is he going to be get the guy that takes that second spot? So I'm, think, I'm thinking the Saints might be a team you need to watch out for where they might just rely on the running game and defense potentially to really help them win some games. And all depends on who's going to be QB number one. Is it going to be Taysom Hill or is it going to be Jameis Winston? And we're going we're gonna to find out here pretty soon with opening day for the NFL season quickly approaching. So final team to talk about in this division, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I don't know if you, if I really need to ask three questions about this team. Maybe just one. Can they repeat? Probably the easiest question I've, I've asked during this, during all these previews. is can the Tampa Bay Buccaneers repeat? Again, they brought everyone back from their title run last year to help with the title defense this year. They added some pieces. They got Giovanni Bernard, who's going to help back maybe as a third down back. Sets up as a guy that Brady could really love to have in that backfield. You're getting O.J. Howard back from injury. So now you got three weapons that tied in with him, Gronk, Cameron Brait. Defense, you added a young piece with Ed Drutchers and Joe Tryon to help out with Jack Baird and Jason Pierre-Paul. So, the Buccaneers have added some pieces throughout free agency and throughout the draft. And, of course, they added Kyle Trask, and that was really notable. But, let's be honest, he's not going to get any time this year. Tom Brady's still feeling good about himself. <laughs> he legit might go on and for a few, a few more years if, you know, nothing changes. You know, he's 43 years old, and he's still got it. So... The only question I have for this bu- uh, for this Bucks team is, can they repeat? I think the answer is yes, but the NFC 
is a lot tougher, I think, at the top with some of these teams like who's going to come out of the West? Is it going to be the Rams with their team, with Stafford and all them? Seahawks, could somebody else in that division make a run? The Cardinals, 49ers, Packers, what are they going to be doing now? Uh, there, It's going to be interesting to see who comes out of the NFC. I still think it's going to be the Bucks, but we'll have to see how tough the road is. So, that's the NFC South, and that is the N- NFC previews, the NFL previews. That's it. We are done. Next week, we're going to be talking about predictions for this upcoming season. So, come back next week. We're going to be talking about who's going to win Rookie of the Year, offense and defense. Who's going to win MVP? Who's going to come out of these divisions, make the playoffs, get into the wild card spots? And most importantly, who's going to be holding the Lombardi Trophy in February next year? So that's going to be all next week. Now, let's go on and let's talk a little college football. And we haven't gotten to talk a whole lot of college football uh, preview, a whole lot of stuff with college football in the last few weeks. Again, we. We're doing stuff a little bit differently, but we're going to be talking about the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, but the thing we're going to start with with those conferences is this, is them officially announcing yesterday that they are going to be allying themselves with one another. They're going to work together on on the college football playoff, NCAA governance, and I'll be honest here, and I think that SEC is kind of thinking this too. I don't think you're that concerned about this. <laughs> of course, this is, they've said that this probably isn't a reaction to what Oklahoma and Texas did in leaving the Big 12 for the SEC, but this might be a response to the SEC as a whole to the SEC and to uh, ESPN has been a concern for these conferences with these uh, with these three conferences coming together. I don't know if you're, you're worried that much if you're the SEC. Now, this does change things a lot in college football where it might have... Well, the SEC might have overplayed their hand here and really have changed things and really got a lot of these teams, a lot of these presidents, chancellors, and these conferences upset at them and how they went about adding Texas and Oklahoma. One thing, I mean, they could have done is like, you know, say, yes, I mean, we do want you, but let's try to... Let's hold off on that, and maybe let's make it a last resort. You know, let's try to work on other things, how to govern college athletics, because there's really, that's been a key thing through, I think, a lot of the stuff that's gone on with college football this year and this offseason, is that you don't have somebody at the head being the defining voice for college football and everything that's going on, and everything that these conferences want to do, 
regarding the playoff, paying players, all that stuff. There's nobody up top that really runs everything and is a person that you look at as like, hey, this guy is going to, this, this person, they're going to help us. They're going to be the voice, the person, the commissioner of the NCAA. And we're going to look to them to kind of have a, a final say or potentially have a big say in what we do. That's, I think, been a key factor and a lot of kind of confusion with college football in this offseason trying to figure out which direction these teams, the conferences, the conferences that they want to go in. Is that you don't have a defining voice to look to to kind of help things out, make things a lot more smooth, have a, a better transition to maybe going to different format of the playoff, how the player, players are being paid. There's not been a whole lot of that. And so with this alliance, it's going to be interesting to see how this is going to work. There's no legally binding contract, so that's interesting that this alliance is built on trust. I don't know how well that's going to go. So we'll have to see where uh, that takes us. As far as this alliance is going to go, let's delve into some of the uh, the meat and potatoes of, of some of this. The lack of contract is a little bit kind of concerning. Again, this is college football. You've had teams kind of backstab their conferences and teams, Texas and Oklahoma, uh, here recently. So, how much trust do these conferences have in one another? And how is not having a contract really going to do anything? It's probably going to be... I mean, I I would think there would be a contract involved. At least something that's, you know, not built specifically on trust. Not like a handshake agreement and stuff like that. So, no contract is going to be interesting. And, and it, is kind of, it is kind of concerning to see what not having a contract could potentially do. What, what would this mean for the college football playoff expansion? Now they have these three conferences aligning themselves with one another. It does sound like they're not going to rush into this 12-team model. And, again, their whole thing, one of the reasons why they're doing this is because of, if you look at, they're concerned about ESPN and their role in uh, all this stuff with the SEC. And how much ESPN controls and dictates college football. So, I don't think they're, uh, they'll rush into it if they're concerned about what ESPN's up to, since those games would appear on ESPN. That, you know, we're, they're not just going to sign into this. You know, they will wait and try to figure stuff out with this college football playoff, and if it means waiting... A few more years for the expansion to happen, so be it. So, what happens to the Big 12 in all this? And that's probably the biggest question out of all of this. Is where does this lead the Big 12? Now you have those three conferences aligned together 
You have the SEC, and they're plucking two of your best teams, the two best teams from that conference, out and putting them in their conference. Where does that leave them? One thing that's been said that's been intriguing is that they said they want and need the Big 12 to do well. Uh, despite the Big 12 being excluded from this alliance, they want them to do well. They uh, they want them to be in a place where they do well, they succeed, make a lot of money. And it does kind of sound like the expansion still might be on the table. The Pac-12 commissioner, I hope, I hope I'm getting his last name uh, right in all this, is George Kilivkov. I, I probably just butchered that whole name. Uh, he's going to be making a final decision on expansion this week. And be honest, these some of these Big 12 teams are targets for something like the Pac-12 expanding their conference and adding some of these teams. And if that doesn't work, if they stay put and nobody else in the Power 5 wants to expand and add these teams, Big 12 could look to their own ex round of expansion and add some teams to their conference. So the Big 12, they're, they're the team that's left out to dry in all this. And then probably my most interesting question is, what about scheduling? How's this going to work for football, basketball, all, all these other sports? How, how's it going to work out? So that's going to be, and this is probably where a contract would probably help is to figure all this stuff out for scheduling purposes. Is that you have the ACC team, ACC teams play only eight in league games, so maybe there's an opportunity you add a Big Ten or Pac-12 opponent every year. Maybe you alternate every other year. But one of the problems is Big Ten and Pac-12 play one more league game than the ACC does, and you also have to take into account non-conference agreements that are scheduled decades in advance. Like, if you look into that stuff, it's kind of nuts how, how how far out these games are scheduled in advance. So, scheduling purposes, that's going to be interesting. How many conference games these teams play might be a factor in scheduling conflicts. You also maybe have annual rivalry games that may play a part in all that stuff and try to figure out when to schedule what. So... This is going to be a big thing to watch out for, but I don't think the SEC is losing sleep over this. Not at all. I think they're fine. They're going to be looking at this and like, okay, so, <laughs> so what? <laughs> so this, so this is what you do to try to beat us, I guess, is what I imagine is going through a lot of SEC countries' heads. A lot of people that are in the SEC, that work in SEC country, they're like, okay, these these conferences are trying to work together, kind of, I guess, you know, fight us, trying to take us down. Well, it's not going to work. <laughs> he ain't worried about y'all. So, 
There's that big piece of news. And speaking of those conferences, let's start off with the ACC and preview the, uh, this conference. And let's start off with one thing about this conference is if you've known Clemson has been dominant in this conference for the last few years, can somebody rise up whether it's in the Coastal or in the Atlantic Division, can somebody rise up and at least challenge Clemson? Maybe it's throughout the regular season. Maybe it's in the college in the conference championship. Can somebody rise up and challenge Clemson when it matters most? If I had to bet, North Carolina is probably the best option. Now, Maybe you could see Miami make a resurgence and maybe get back into things. Florida State with Mike Norvell, can he even get that program back to prominence? Maybe. Or could it be somebody out of the blue, like Boston College, or somebody like that. Louisville can, with Scott Satterfield, can he get that program looking good again? So that's going to be something to watch. Is who's going to step up and actually try to challenge Clemson? But if I had to bet, I bet it's going to be in North Carolina. You got Mac Brown, Sam Hale, looking like one of the best QBs in the country, behind center. Now Carolina did lose some pieces in the off in the offseason to the draft and all that stuff, but. If I had to bet, North Carolina is going to be that team that steps in and tries to challenge Clemson for the ACC title. Another thing I've been looking at and trying to, and getting ready for this, ACC has got a lot of good quarterbacks coming in. You got Howe at North Carolina. You got DJ Uwe Angulale. I think I got that one right. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't know how I get some of these names right. Like, I can announce Giannis's name and that, and DJ's name just fine, but I guess when it came to the Pac-12 commissioners, I I don't know. Uh, but you got him at Clemson. It'll be interesting to see Clemson as they transition from the Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne era, where you're going to have a lot of fresh faces behind center and in that backfield. Derek King in Miami, Mackenzie Milton at Florida State, potentially. Boston College, Phil Jerkovic, uh, I hope that's how he pronounced the last name. Again, the whole thing with names, uh, who actually did pretty well last year for Boston College. First 10 starts, threw for over 2,500 yards. So, that's, uh, that's pretty good in your first 10 starts, and that's the most by any Boston College quarterback in program history. So, Boston College has got themselves a QB. And then you have veterans like Kenny Pickett at, at Pitt and Sam Hartman at Wake Forest. So you got some pretty good quarterbacks here in this conference. And really, really, I think if you look at it, it might be the most compelling group because you got some guys that are, are first face. You got some guys that are maybe in some of the elite of the elite, some guys coming into their own. And then you have the veterans like Pickett and Hartman and Milton, and Eric King. 
So, really interesting group of quarterbacks that the ACC has here. So, and look and talking more about the the ACC, they got some interesting games coming up, and some non-conference games, some conference games that are intriguing that could potentially determine a lot. Miami and Alabama. Now, I think we all know in our right mind, as we should, that Alabama's going to win that game. But can Miami compete against Bama? And probably the best non, uh, best non-conference game out there is Week One, Clemson Georgia. Somebody's taking a loss there, and whoever that is, that program is not going to be happy going into Week Two. And these these two teams are top ten, crap, top five teams coming into the season. So somebody's taking an L there in Week One. So and that could be a really big game for playoff impl- implications. Uh, set, again, that game is going to be September fourth. ABC going to be a fun first week of college football, especially with that being one of the big time games that week. So that's going to be some of the big conference non conference games going on. There's also some big conference games going on. Miami, North Carolina. That could determine what happens in the Coastal Division. Could and Carolina and potentially them meeting Clemson in the ACC title game. Could you have another game like North Carolina, Virginia Tech maybe make a difference? And that being a season opener. So UNC is going to have a lot of big time tests coming up here pretty soon. And whether they are legit and whether they are truly the team that potentially take down the Clemson Tigers. So, some guys to look at for this upcoming season. I think the main guy to look at is DJ Uwe Angulale, the quarterback at Clemson, who is now taking over the spot after Trevor Lawrence has been the guy there for what feels like years. How's he going to do? He got a little bit of action last year with Lawrence out due to COVID. He got a little bit of action last year, a little bit of taste of what big-time college football is like, especially in that game at Notre Dame last year, in which Clemson ended up losing. But it was a good taste of action nonetheless, I think, for him. And see how he progresses. And this guy is big. 6465 around 23240 I may be underestimating his weight there I mean a different type of guy than Trevor Lawrence but a, a guy that's a that was a five star prospect coming out of high school nonetheless was he bring to the table and also who's going to be behind him in that backfield is it going to be somebody like Will Shipley freshman running back who is another five star it's not, it's Clemson's becoming like Alabama at this point. You lose a five star, and yeah, we got another five star waiting in the wings. And uh, you know, so Shipley might be a guy that comes in and helps that backfield in Clemson. And you got a nice new duo there if you're a Clemson Tigers fan. So I would have to say DJ's probably the biggest guy to watch out for in the ACC because I mean, watch out. If he's all he's advertised to be, uh, a lot of ACC teams are going to be 
really unhappy with how these next couple years are going to go. So, I think that's it for the ACC, unless here we have a college conference title game prediction. I do think it's probably going to be Clemson and North Carolina, in all likelihood, these two teams are probably the best teams. Clemson, for sure, is one of the best teams. North Carolina, I think, is number two. But again, that opener against Georgia is going to be key for Clemson. Because could they afford another loss after that game? So, that's going to be a key game for them. But I do think Clemson and North Carolina are going to be the two best teams that are going to be meeting each other in the ACC title game. I do think Clemson's going to end up winning this conference, this conference at regular season and postseason with the title game. So, there's the ACC. So now, let's go over to the Big Ten. Peter's favorite conference right here. With uh, his favorite coach, James Franklin, leading his Penn State Tigers. Or Penn, Penn State Tigers. Uh, you know, it's probably fitting I mess it up for Peter. Uh, Penn State Nittany Lions. I've still got Clemson on the mind. So, let's talk about the Big Ten. And talk about where they're looking at going into this season. Of course, the big thing I think everybody's wondering is, can Michigan finally <laughs> can Michigan finally get on track against Ohio State? Because they've hired their guy and Jim Harbaugh. He hasn't been able to get it done for the last few years. Could this be the year for a breakthrough? We'll have to rem- wait and see. Because Ohio State, they are replacing some talent. Uh, especially at the quarterback spot. You lose a guy like Justin Fields, it obviously hurts. But it's kind of like <laughs> what I was referring to with Clemson and Alabama. You got another five-star on the wings? I mean, fine. Good. <laughs> and it looks like they got some guys there that can really compete and take this job. It looks like C.J. Stroud is going to be the guy at Ohio State to start the season. Of course, you got Jack Miller, and you got Kyle McCord there. You also had Quinn Ears, who reclassified to the 21 class and is going to be on campus. I doubt he's going to be making any sort of play for the starting QB job. But I don't think, you never know with these types types of things. I think the biggest impact he's going to have is what he just did and reclassifying because of the NIL. So, I think those two are probably the things I'm thinking about is how is Ohio State going to look with them having to replace some talent at QB, running back, Offensive line, you lost Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers there, two interior guys that were really good. How are you going to replace them? So, let's take a look more in depth at this at this conference and talk about the Big Ten. So, Ohio State, I think is definitely number one. Who's going to be number two is going to be kind of the question. Can it be Michigan? Can it be Penn State? Who didn't really start off the season well. <laughs> I remember the group chats with Peter, and it was just like, what do you expect? You know, they kind of came on a little bit 
late last season. So it'll be interesting to see how they rebound this year in 2021. Can they be a team that comes in as the number two team in the Big Ten? Can it be somebody like Indiana, who kind of surprised a lot of people last year with how they performed? And you bring a lot of those guys back. Ty, uh, you bring back Michael Penix Jr. at QB. You bring back, I don't want to get this dude's last name wrong, uh, their wide receiver there, Ty Frofragel, or I, I know I messed up that name, but a guy that has pedigree from the NFL with his father and you got a lot of talent there at Indiana to work with, and they surprise a lot of people. Can they be a team that comes in at number two? Could somebody like Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin didn't play a whole lot last year due to, due to COVID, can they bounce back this year and be a team that comes in number two in the conference? And, of course, Michigan, can, they, and can Jim Harbaugh get their acts together at Michigan? And really get back to a Big Ten title game. That and Those are going to be some of the teams I think are going to be competing for that number two spot behind Ohio State. Just remains, which one is it going to be? Is, 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 some, is somebody else going to step up and be the number two team and really kind of give Ohio State a run for its money? So, let's take a look at some of the big games going on during this season with conference and non-conference. There's a couple big non-conference games that are going on. You got Oregon and Ohio State early on in the season. That's going to be a huge time game, especially for Oregon when we talk about the Pac-12. That's a big non-conference game for Ohio State. You got Auburn going to Penn State September 18th in a much-anticipated return of of the whiteout game, of a whiteout game. And then you also got a game that could be pretty fun, going to be at Soldier Field in Chicago on September 25th, Wisconsin and Notre Dame. And also, you got games like Iowa, Iowa State, a battle for Iowa. So there's a lot of fun non-conference games here to work with if you're a Big Ten fan. You got Oregon, Ohio State. That would be fun. Auburn, an SEC team coming to Penn State. Can Penn State get their act together and get a really good win against an SEC team to start the year? Wisconsin and Notre Dame. Can Wisconsin again bounce back and get a really impressive win at Notre Dame against the Fighting Irish? Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa State has been on the rise here the last few years under Matt Campbell. And you got Iowa, and don't count out Iowa. So, that can, uh, there are a lot of fun non-conference games that are going to be going on early in this season for these Big Ten teams. Now, as far as conference games, are going to go, which games are going to be the best? So let's take a look at some of them. You have Indiana, Iowa, and Penn State at Wisconsin, both on September 4th. 
Those are going to be two fun Big Ten games right for you, right out of the gate in this season. And what's crazy, it, you know, being an SEC country, it's kind of crazy how far, how how long you haven't been to a certain place. Penn State hasn't been to Wisconsin since 2013. And guess who was at Penn State there? Who who guess who was the quarterback there? Christian Hackenberg, Peter's favorite quarterback there. <laughs> so it's been a while, but I think the the main game that everybody's looking at with this year is Ohio State, Michigan, November twenty seventh in Ann Arbor. Didn't play the game last year due to a COVID outbreak with Michigan. Is this finally the year Jim Harbaugh can finally overcome the hump and beat Ohio State? Could this be the year? So that's one of the big-time conference games. You also have Michigan State versus Michigan. Michigan and Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, you got a few others, but those are some of the more... So, big-time games. I think, as far as the most important player for uh, for this conference is to see who's going to be the guy that steps up at Ohio State at quarterback. Because they've determined a whole lot of how things go with Ohio State and in this conference. So, is it C.J. Stroud who's going to get the first crack at the job? Jack Miller? Is it going to be Kyle McCord? You know? Or does Quinn Ewers come out of nowhere and actually does compete in this QB job and actually get a shot here? So, whoever's going to be the QB at Ohio State, I think is going to be the most important, maybe the most intriguing player uh, to determine where things go. And you know what? Outside of that, I think Michael Penix Jr. from Indiana is going to be the guy to watch for. Because, again, Indiana can be a team that can go and be a team behind Ohio State, be the number two team behind Ohio State in the conference. And he's going to be a key reason why. And so, what is he going to be able to do? Is he? I think he's going to be one of the more important players of this, of this conference and really determining where Indiana is going to end up at the end of the year. I mean, he's, he's got a good team. He's got a solid defense. Uh, here we go. Ty Freifogel. Maybe I wasn't that far off. Maybe I had something mixed up. But you have, one thing to keep in mind here, and you got a lot of players that have an ex, extra season of eligibility considering with what happened last year with COVID. So, Penix Jr., I think, is going to be one of the more important guys and also whoever the quarterback at Ohio State is because I think those will determine a lot of things in this conference. I mean, you also have Jim Harbaugh because he's going to determine, I think, whether Michigan is going to be is going to be able to compete and get in a Big Ten title game. So, in the end, who do I think is going to end up making the Big Ten title game? Or who's, who I think is going to win the Big Ten title? I think it's going to be Ohio State. I mean, listen, they're the team with the most talent. If one of those guys does step up at quarterback, then, I mean, 
Ohio State's got another good quarterback to rally itself behind for for a bit here. But I think Ohio State's going to be the team to come out and win this conference. As far as who I think they might face coming out of the Big Ten West, it'll be interesting because it could be a team like Wisconsin or Iowa or could Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald. Northwestern has been a sneaky team to where they could potentially sneak in and surprise people. So, could you see them pop in and make an appearance in the Big Ten title game? Could Nebraska and Scott Frost get their stuff together, which I don't know if they will. So, it might be an Ohio State and Wisconsin title game. But, that Big Ten East, everybody, that's going to be a fun division to watch with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Indiana. Maybe Maryland with Tua's little brother at the helmet quarterback maybe takes a step up. Uh, Rutgers and Greg Schiano and all them. Maybe there can be some improvement there. Michigan State, they've got a lot of transfers coming in this year. That's one thing that helped Rutgers. Maybe it helps Michigan State this year. So a lot of things to be excited about for the Big Ten, especially in that East Division. And so... But that being said, let's go and take a look and wrap things up for the show and go over to the West Coast and let's talk about the Pac-12. And I think the big and most important question, one thing that I think has probably hindered them is you you schedule these non-conference games, these sometimes big non-conference games, to try to help boost your chances again to play into the playoff, you end up losing those games, you, and makes things ten times harder, and and ends up hurting you, not getting you into the playoffs. So can the Pac-12 find a way to break through, win meaningful major non-conference games, and try to position themselves to have a chance again to the playoff? And they got a lot of chances in these non-conference games. If you again, we mentioned Oregon and Ohio State. That's probably going to be the big one to determine where these teams are going to end up. Especially Oregon, it, with Oregon being a team to watch out for, to to go out and to go and compete and really have a chance to get into the title game. Now, of course, I mean, it will, it's going to be a big test for Mario Cristobal and his team. So, it's going to be interesting to watch. You you also have, I'm, I don't know if UCLA is going to make the jump like, the, like that, but you do have an important game in week one at the Rose Bowl against LSU. LSU had a lot of things go wrong last year after, in a year after they won the national title. Can UCLA have a surprise and ups- and really upset LSU at the Rose Bowl? Washington at Michigan. Can Could Washington go in there with Jimmy Lake as a head coach? Can the Huskies go in there, go in Ann Arbor and shock Michigan? 
So those are just some of the few not big non-conference games that these teams have going on in the Pac-12. And if one of them can win one of these games, whether it's an Oregon against Ohio State, whether it's a UCLA against LSU, a Washington at Michigan, they can position themselves really well going forward. So let's talk about the Pac-12 as a whole. You got some stuff with Arizona State with our boy Herm Edwards going on, which, uh, I mean, listen, we love Herm here, but this is not in good stuff here that's going on here. But Arizona State is a team that's positioned itself pretty well to potentially make a Pac-12 title run. Of course, led by QB under center Jane Daniels. Arizona State didn't play a whole lot of games last year. But they got themselves a pretty good team there with uh, with Arizona State. So it'll be interesting to see how the investigation there works out and how it might hurt Arizona State if it affects them at all. You also got, we talked about Oregon. See if they can make a jump and see if a big win against Ohio State could potentially be in the cards for them. I think also USC. What's going to happen with USC is this year Clay Helton actually does something and get this team to where this team wants to be back to winning Pac-12 title games consistently and being in that conversation towards the end of the year as being one of the better teams in the country ain't having a shot at playing for a title. Is this a year where he finally gets over that hump? Or is this year he finally gets canned after there being a couple years now where you were wondering, is USC going to make a coaching change? So those are going to be some of the key teams I'm going to be interested in. You've already talked about the non-conference games that are coming up for the uh, for these teams. What about the conference games? There's actually some pretty fun ones. USC at Arizona State, November 6th. Arizona State had a had a bad loss at U- against USC last year. They lost in losing that game in the final four minutes. I think I remember that game. And this game is going to be in Tempe, Arizona. It's going to be in Arizona State's favor this time. So can they exact their revenge and get a pretty good conference win on November 6th? And other games, Pac-12 North, Oregon at Washington on November 6th as well. A lot of those two are big key games that probably could determine the Pac-12 if you look at if you look at it, to be honest. And you also got another another game early on, Utah at USC October 9th. But I think the more so big time games are going to be those two games on November 6th. Oregon and Washington could be a really fun game. Of course, if you remember what happened at the end of the season last year, Washington fans are probably not so happy with what transpired with Washington to to COVID stuff happening with them wrong at the wrong time. End up leading Oregon to take their place in the Pac-12 title game without having played them. And then, of course, Oregon winning the Pac-12 title game. So, 
there's a little bit of a bitterness I expect there. So I expect that to be a fun game in uh, in Washington when that game comes up on November sixth. But it's gonna be those are that's gonna be a couple fun games that could determine where the Pac-12 really kind of ends up. I think probably in the the player that might be the most important to this conference and how things are determined is going to be probably, it might be Keaton Slovis, the guy, the quarterback at USC. We talked about Clay Helton a little bit already earlier. Can he get them over the hump? Can Slovis be that quarterback that brings USC back to where they want to go? Could he be that guy? Or could it, could it be somebody like, I don't know, maybe could it be his fellow wide receiver, Drake London, who is the best receiver on USC's offense and who is a guy that's a real, it's kind of crazy how athletic he is. Or could it be Kayvon Thibodeau at Oregon and him wreaking havoc on the Pac-12 offenses? I think probably Thibodeau, Slovis, those two are probably the more important players coming out of this conference considering what they could bring to the table for their respective programs. And also I think something to watch for, Corey Foreman, the number one recruit in the country last year. What's his impact at USC going to be? He's going to be playing alongside Drake Jackson, who's a pretty good edge rusher for USC. So will the freshman come in and make his presence known early on? So those, I think, are some of the more important players or players to look out for for the Pac-12. And then coming up with the conference championship is who is going to win the Pac-12. And that's going to be an interesting thing to talk about because whoever wins could potentially place themselves in a good spot to where they could make the playoff. And again, a lot of it, I think, kind of depends on what happens with those non-conference games. you got some huge ones coming up. That November 9th slate of games where you got Oregon and Washington, USC, Versus Arizona State. So, a lot of interesting games that could determine a lot of things about how things unfold for this conference. So, as far as a conference title game, what that might look like, I think out of the North Division, it's going to be either Oregon or Washington. And in the South, it's a little bit more tough. I mean, it could be USC, but it also could be Utah. It could be Arizona State. Could Chip Kelly and UCLA make a run? Colorado. So, it'll be interesting to watch. I think if I had to make a pick, I think give me Oregon. And do I pick Herm here? Uh, you know what? Screw it. I'll pick Kerm here. I'll pick Arizona State and Oregon. And I'll have Oregon coming out of the Pac-12 and winning the conference. So, there's the Pac-12, everybody. And there is this week's podcast. So, 
it's a little bit of fun there talking college football and actually getting in depth in some of these teams and kind of looking over about what some of these teams might be all about this upcoming year. So college football week zero is starting this week with, uh, I think got a couple teams from uh, the Pac-12 getting together. So I think Illinois is playing this week. So uh, there you go. So week zero college football starts this week. And week one officially starts next week with all these games, but with some of these high-profile games like a Clemson and Georgia game popping up next week. So it's going to be a fun time. College football is coming up, everybody. It's back. Football season's back. Got college football coming back. NFL coming back in full swing. So exciting times here coming up here. So that'll do it for us here, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Be sure to go check us out on our Twitter account, 573pods. Check out the latest stuff coming from us. Check out the podcast on where you guys get your podcast, whether it's Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or Anchor. As Be sure to go check out those platforms for the Views channel and for the Entertainment channel where we've done three pods here recently with Suicide Squad, the No Way Home trailer, Shang-Chi looking pretty good. That's coming out next week as well. So check out those pods on the entertainment channel. So that'll do it for us here, everybody. Hopefully you guys have a good rest of the week. Until next week, we'll talk to you next time. Peace.